Let's bow for prayer and uh, then when we say amen, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Father, thank you for the beauty of the day. Thank you for the joy of Christian fellowship. Thank you for the delicious food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And bless us as we continue our journey through uh, 1 Peter. We're thankful for what we've already learned in the first uh, chapter and a half. And we know that you have much to say to us today. We are keenly aware that Peter was writing to a suffering people. And though our suffering may be different than their suffering, we all know what it is to experience pain or suffering or loss of some kind. And perhaps some here today right in the middle of that. And so from your word, I pray that you will encourage our hearts, lift our spirit today and help us to focus our attention on uh, not on our circumstances, but on you. And I pray that we will find in you the peace and the calmness uh, that, that we need and that we desire. So bless our time together and uh, thank you for all who've come. Encourage our hearts now in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All right, we are in the second chapter, verse 11. Um, I know you're not accustomed to me announcing the next series this far in advance, but I have already made a decision, uh, led by the Lord, I trust. And so we're going back to the Old Testament when we finish First Peter, and we're going to do Judges, the book of Judges. So you can anticipate that um, not exactly this month, but... <clears throat> You know, somewhere out there, that's that's where we'll go. So I'm having to already start reading and get my mind wrapped around the book of Judges, so we'll be there later. Okay, you see from the outline that it says how to live in a pagan world, 1st century and 21st century. The, the principles are the same, and quite frankly, the world is not all that much different. Uh, it is a tough place. And believers can expect persecution or, or suffering. Now, remember, we've observed some of our suffering comes because we are alive on the face of planet Earth and we're not exempt. We're not exempt from sickness. We're not exempt from accidents. We're not exempt from the loss of loved ones. Uh, we're, we're not exempt. So that some of our suffering is a result of being alive on the face of planet Earth. But some of our suffering is because we are Christians and we stand for Christ, we stand for what's right, we are firm in our beliefs, loving but firm, and so that is not always popular. Now, we understand in our context of the United States that we don't know suffering like many people around the world know suffering, at least not yet. Uh, You you think of, um, and I think we even discussed this Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, uh, the suffering of Christians in parts of Asia, parts of uh, of Africa, uh, the Middle East, of course, which is part of Asia, but we somehow you know, kind of make that distinctive. <clears throat> Very interesting, as I talked to um, uh, a couple of members of our team that just got back from um, East Asia, Translation, you know where that is. And a couple of pretty close calls that they had while they were there. Uh, So it's, uh, it is, it's a, it's absolutely amazing world that we live in, but very, very difficult for Christians in many, many places. 
and our focus, we have a lot of focuses around the world, but two of our major focuses are on two countries where there is much persecution and the level is rising intensely. So just, we know that, and Peter addresses that, and we'll see that hopefully as we move along today. So I want us to look at verse 11 of chapter 2, how to live in a pagan world, 1st century and 21st century. And look at the first part of verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. And there's a comma in my Bible. And so that, we'll just stop right there for a second. Peter is reminding us that we aren't home yet. As much as you may love where you live, the community, or the people, the house, the apartment, whatever, uh, as much as you love it, and I hope you do, just remember you aren't home yet. This is not your home. This is our temporary abode. We are headed toward a far better place than what we experience now, even though I think most of us love our community, we do recognize it isn't heaven. Uh, in fact, as July moves along, we will more and more recognize that this is not heaven. Uh, when you walk out today, you'll get an instant reminder that we are not home yet. So uh, as we think about that, Paul wants the believers who are suffering, suffering believers, to realize that their circumstances are not going to last forever. For instance, when this is different than what they were experiencing, but when you get sick, uh, nobody enjoys that. But what is helpful is if you know that what you have is going to get better, that it may be a few days or a few weeks, but you are going to get better, you are going to recover. Now, what really is discouraging is if you have some issue or problem and and you don't see an end to it. Um, whether there is an end or not, at least at this point from your perspective, you can't see it. And that's discouraging. So Peter is trying to remind those early suffering believers what you are experiencing does have an end. It will come to an end. This is not your final home. And you remember that those early believers were, um, they were chased, they were, they were scattered about the Roman Empire. Many of them were, were placed in jail. Some of them were killed. Um, most of them were booted out of the synagogue. The, the Jewish believers were booted from the synagogue, which for them was absolutely devastating. Now, let's pretend for a moment that you were booted from the church. Um, that would be horrible. I mean, we would just be, that would hurt us deeply if for some reason the church said, you can't come anymore. That would hurt. But we'd survive. We'd find another church, <laughs> somebody that would love us. We'd go somewhere. We'd survive. And your livelihood probably wouldn't depend on your being in the church. But for them, being booted from the synagogue meant uh, there's a a red X placed on your forehead. Nobody's going to hire you 
Nobody's going to do business with you. Nobody's going to have anything to do with you. And they're going to make it extremely difficult for you. And so it wasn't always the Romans who caused the early Christians to scatter. Sometimes it was their fellow Jews who caused them to scatter. So let's go someplace where they don't know us yet. And maybe they'll be more accepting, whatever. But Paul, uh, Peter is reminding the early believers it's not going to stay like this forever. So take encouragement, take hope. Now, this is addressed to first century Christians, but it's also addressed to 21st century Christians. And the world is changing. Have you noticed? The, the average age of this room is somewhere north of 30. <laughs> With all due respect to those in here who are in their 20s or 30s, there are few around. But most of us are north of that. So we've seen a lot of changes in our world. Some of them are wonderful and exciting, and some of them are discouraging or or hard. So we see it. And if you were here Sunday night, you heard Logan Reynolds quote um, a statistic that I think was shocking for the ones who were here. And I had already seen it, and Craig and I had already discussed it prior to my going to Georgia And I had to take a deep breath, and I had to look at that and say, that can't be true, but it is true. In in the Barna study of post-Christian America, and we are are in post-Christian age in America, our community of Waco, Temple, Belton, Colleen, and College Station, Ryan, that little, that however you draw that on a map. We are the 51st most post-Christian area in the United States of America. Now, when I saw that, I thought, well, wait a minute. we got more churches than Carter has liver pills, if anybody remembers that. Um, Don't all my neighbors go to church? And then I began to think about it, and I said, oh, no, they don't. 51st. Did you know we rank as more post-Christian than St. Louis? We are more post-Christian than... What else did I write down on that? Portland, Oregon. You've got to be kidding. (laughs) Didn't they just have riots up there last week? Uh, Yeah, every week. (laughs) Somebody said every week. Uh, We're more post-Christian than Milwaukee. That's stunning. Now, there's 16 criteria that gets you into that group, and I don't have time to go into that, but that may fit itself into a future sermon. And, and Logan's preaching again Sunday night, so he may, I don't know what he's going to do. He may elaborate on that. So remember, you're not home yet. Now, the next thing he says is, with that in mind, live right. Okay? Look at the rest of verse 11 and then verse 12. I urge you, he says, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, the day of judgment. They may not glorify God right now, but one day they will. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sad, the sad side of that is for some, 
they will bow the knee by force when in the judgment and it will be too late for them to be part of the family of God. However, he is saying to us, in light of this, surrounded by pagans, in the world in which you live, do the right thing. That's what he's saying. Do the right thing. Well, we say, how do I know the right thing? Well, you've got the Bible and the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That's all we need. Read Scripture. Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts so we know what to do, the right thing to do. If the Holy Spirit lives in you and you do the wrong thing, you're, you're going to know it. You won't be standing before Jesus one day and saying, I didn't know that that was wrong. <laughs> you're going to know it. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. That's part of his job. Uh, he comforts us. He encourages us. He guides us, but he also convicts us. And there's a purpose for that. Conviction is not to make us miserable. Conviction is intended to make us repent, to be right with God. So Peter is saying, remember, you're not home yet. This, this is temporary. And do the right thing. And the right thing is found in Scripture and as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. Then he says, beginning of verse 13, that we should submit to authority. Now, what I want to do is read verses 13 through 17 and then go back and, and talk about it for a moment. So look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, understand the the uh, stunning breadth of those words for first century scattered believers. In some cases, he is talking about submitting yourself to the very authorities that were trying to arrest you or end your life or make life miserable for you. And all of us know the name of the emperor at that time. Who was that? You know? Say it loudly. Nero. Nero. You know, we've had some pretty sorry presidents in my lifetime. I won't name any names. But we've never had a president as bad as Nero. I mean, our worst president wouldn't compare to Nero. So understand that as hard as it is sometimes to read this scripture and say, that means I'm supposed to respect the authority of whoever's in the White House, whether I like him or not. That's, that is what it means. But he was saying to them... Respect the emperor, Nero, who may have just been instrumental in putting your brother to death. Those are, can you get the gravity of those words? It's kind of like a cloud just settled over the room. You know, that, those are grave words. And, and why do, why are we supposed to respect those or, or submit to those who are in authority over us? It says for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Wow. Okay. God never said that you would just love everything he wrote to you. But he did say, obey everything I write to you. Okay? So submit yourselves to every human authority, including the emperor or including governors, those who are sent by God to punish the wrongdoers and, and reward those who do what? What is right? Now, where did I stop? Verse 15. 
For it is God's will. Now, I've always told you, I don't make any claims to being the smartest person in the world, nor do I claim to be the person who understands the Bible better than anybody else. I don't, you you who know me know that. But when the Bible says it is God's will, then my ears perk up. Because you don't have to be real, real smart to know, hey, that, that's something I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to pay attention to that. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, free in your heart, free in your spirit, free in your soul, even if you're a slave. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Like, uh, I'm saved, I'll do what I want to do. Thought I heard somebody say that last week. I don't know. Anyway, I, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves, God's servants, God's children, God's family. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There he is again. Those, um, Those are pretty strong words, and I can't just gloss over what God is saying for me to do. Neither can can any of us to submit to authority. Now, here in our context in the United States, our freedom is such a precious gift, such a precious gift. Were you here two weeks ago when I told you what Joseph said when their plane landed in San Francisco and they came back from East Asia and he texted me and he said, the smell of freedom is so good. It is. It is. We cherish our freedom. It is, it is so precious and so rare in human history. Some of you may have been history majors in college or you may be a history buff. You may have read a lot of history books. And you know how rare this nation and its freedom is in the course of human history. Rarely, if ever, has there been anything like it. I read and hear of some people complaining about folks who say, American exceptionalism. We are an exceptional people. We are an exceptional nation. I'm not sure why that's a bother because it's true. What we need to be careful about, though, is distinguishing between we are an exceptional people, let's pat ourselves on the back, or we are an exceptional people because God has chosen to bless us. And that is why I don't hesitate to say we are an exceptional nation because God has chosen to bless us. And I'm very, very grateful for that, for that blessing. Now, he says, submit to authority. So for us as believers, this doesn't rule out. And I think I said this when we were in James, um, in church a couple of weeks ago. It does not mean you can't ever defend yourself or stand up for yourself. 
in the right circumstances, but it but it does mean the bottom line, we are to humbly submit ourselves to those who are in authority over us. And you can translate that from the government to places of employment or wherever it may be that someone has properly been installed in, in authority over you. <clears throat> and again, part of the exceptionalism of our context is I submit to authority, but I do have an opportunity to vote against that authority if I don't like who it is. Not many nations historically have had the privilege of doing that, including first century. They didn't get to vote. Nobody voted Nero in office. Nobody. And he didn't stand for re-election once he assumed office. He was there until the day he died. But we have a cho- we have a choice. We get to participate in a process where we can try to lawfully and legally defeat someone that we don't like or we think is unjust or, or bad. They didn't get to do that, and yet Peter says, submit to authority. Now, if you go to verse 18, um, how much time do we have? Well, we got a f- four more minutes. Uh, verse 18. Let me, let me read through 25, okay? Slaves. Hmm. So he's writing to some slaves, isn't he? Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. I would guess that as this epistle was read in local congregations, as it was passed around from place to place, that there were some folks listening who probably went, (gasps) just think about the implication of that. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. You see, what is in our context, this is hard to swallow, hard to comprehend, hard to get our arms around. But God's major concern was not your, yours or, or mine being rescued from physical slavery. His main concern was in his name being glorified. You see, we look at things completely opposite. We say, well, God, your main concern ought to be get me out of this. That's, that's the way we think. Get me out of this. I don't deserve this. But God is looking at it from an entirely different perspective. His main concern is, is my name being honored, my name being glorified, my name being spread to those around you. And remember, this is going to come to an end. That's what he says right off the bat. Okay, verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing the wrong thing and endure it. Or let's put it this way. You do, you break the law. Uh, you get arrested and you get put in jail. You've done the wrong thing. You put in jail. 
So how is it that that brings glory to God when you are as guilty as sin? That's what he's saying. However, look on, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So if you get arrested for something you did not do, particularly if it was something that you did to, to, to stand for Jesus, you get arrested, put in jail, you're doing the right thing, that's commendable before God. You know, there are places in the world today where they read this text and their heads go up and down because that's what they're going through. They know all about it. Yep, yep, yep. We know all about it. We're persecuted. Our brothers have been killed. Our sisters have been killed. Our children have been raped. We understand all that. In our context, we, we are like, I want to get my arms around this, but my arms aren't big enough. I, I just struggle with it because I'm so influenced by my context, and, and so are you. But I want to get my arms around it and I want to understand it. And so I, I know, I, I see what Peter is saying. And remember, we observed from the very first day in First Peter, he's writing to offer encouragement and hope to suffering Christians. Not writing to discourage them, but writing to encourage them. So verse 21, to this you were called. I consider verse 21 to be, Perhaps the key verse of chapter 2. To this you were called. Whoa. You mean God ordained that I'm going through what I'm going through? That's correct. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Did Jesus not say, they hated me, so they will hate you? If they persecute me, me, they will persecute you. So in our context, we're so accustomed to being unpersecuted that that's kind of like, whoa, what did you say? While many of our brothers and sisters around the world are nodding their heads and saying, yep, yep, got that, lived through that last week. And so our hearts begin to resonate with them and what they're experiencing. So to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. And remember the sufferings of Christ, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, unlike me. Unlike you, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our, I love verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's salvation history right there. That's your salvation history. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray. Where is that written? Where is that found? Isaiah 53, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's interesting as we look at this, and with this we'll have to close. Um, it's interesting he did not call for rebellion 
on the on the part of the slave. I mean, he's, he says he addresses it verse eighteen to slave. He doesn't say slaves do everything you can to rebel and and overthrow your master and kill him if you can. He doesn't he doesn't say that. What would have happened in the Roman Empire? Now that that does don't don't interpret that to mean that God's in favor of slavery. He's not. But what would have happened in the Roman Empire if if Peter had written and said, get swords, get knives, get hammers, get farm implements, get anything you can, and overthrow your masters? What would have happened? It would have been an unimaginable bloodbath. Unimaginable bloodbath. So Paul, Peter, nor Paul, write to them and say, overthrow your masters. Rather, he says, live before them in an honorable way. Now, if it had not been for Christianity, we might still have slavery today in, in the form that we used to have in our nation or in Britain or other places in Europe. Christianity is very ins- instrumental in the, in, the, in the abolition of slavery. But in this case, he does not call for armed rebellion. Rather, he calls live in reverent fear of the Lord. Live in reverent fear of the Lord. He calls for honor and respect and suffer well, just like Jesus suffered well for you and I. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably, even if we had five more minutes, I think that's about, I've got to stop and I've got to process all that. I've got to let that float around in my mind a little bit. Maybe you do too. So that's where we'll stop. Next Wednesday, we'll pick up with chapter 3. He, in verses 1 through 7, he addresses wives and husbands, marital relationships, in the light of the context. And uh, then we'll go on from there to um, find some words of encouragement that will carry us almost to the end of chapter 3. He really bears down on on suffering in verse 8. When you get to verse 8, it's almost like Peter has been offering encouragement and then he takes a deep breath and his voice elevates and he zeroes in on suffering. So every listener, every recipient of the letter is like, yep, he's addressing where we are and, and our suffering. So that's hopefully where we'll get to next Wednesday. I appreciate your attention and your being here. Um, Let's pray and then you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. It is, there are are times when we read your word and we wonder how, how in the world can I do that? And yet we know that because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we can and we find such encouragement in your word, particularly as we think about trials and pain and suffering and sorrow and knowing that you are with us every step of the way and that, and for that we are grateful. So bless us as we go from this place. Um, bring us together again next Wednesday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.